are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church. It's good to be back, it's good to be here, good to be home. There's no place like home. So I welcome you home. Um, today, I, for the most of the week, I've been trying to figure out what to do and what to say. Uh, I'm so grateful that uh, we have uh, um, a pastor who loves the Lord, and Greg has done an incredible job in drawing us closer into the presence of God every day, every week. He's a great pastor, and I'm so thankful for him. Um, <clears throat> it's nice to be in a church where Christ is exalted and magnified. There are a lot of churches where you don't have the same opportunity to exercise freedom of worship, freedom of what God has in your life. And... Uh, and I believe we are in for a treat. God is doing a great thing here as a, for us as a church. Um, I can't wait to see a reflection of everything God is doing in your lives as it culminates together uh, to bring us to a position where God wants us to be as a church. Uh, we're a small growing church, but God is doing great things for us. My topic today, my discussion today, is, the, is, is about faith or forgiveness and reconciliation. It takes a lot of faith to do that. And as I think of forgiveness and reconciliation today, let us look, we'll look at the implications of the cross and forgiveness. Where have you been wounded in your life? The hardest person you must forgive is not others, but yourself. We beat ourselves so hard. There is no reconcilia- reconciliation without forgiveness. These two words, forgiveness and reconciliation, are legal terms. Forgiveness means pardon, means amnesty, means exoneration, means mercy, clemency, or pardon. Reconciliation means settlement, resolution. If you're an accountant, it means that things have to balance. Everything you have put in should equal to everything you took out with a balance. (laughs) If it doesn't, then they say it's out of work. It also means reunion or compromise. Reconciliation is the goal of forgiveness. You forgive then you also reconcile with whoever you're forgiven. The essence of the gospel depends on these two words, forgiveness and reconciliation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's forgiveness. There's also reconciliation of bringing us back into the fold. Nothing is more painful Nothing is more painful than forgiving our enemies. It takes faith to forgive someone who has wronged you and then reconcile. 
In Luke 17, verse 1 through 5, Jesus is talking with, with his disciples. And one of the things the disciples ask for is that, Lord, increase my faith to forgive others. Because the Lord says, how many times should you forgive your friend? And the Lord says, oh, seven times seven. <laughs> and everybody goes, that's too much. I can't do that. I need more faith to do that. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Somebody has got a good voice, go for it. <laughs> Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And be seated. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you will speak your word, minister to my heart and to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was about 12, 12, 13, um, I used to do to work with missionaries who came into the country. I would spend all my time helping them learn the language, speak the language. Um, and it was a tedious job for a 13 year old. But somehow somebody figured out that kids are better teachers of the language because we, you know, you just speak simple things. You know, you've got no bigger things that you throw into the language. Um, and so I spent some time doing that for one of the missionaries who came in. And uh, after I was done, they never told me what they were going to pay me for doing that. And so after I was done with that, uh, the, the lady that I was working with was a close friend to our family, uh, went into the house and pulled an old, ragged, torn Bible. And she came to me and said, this was my grandma's Bible, and this is what you've been working for. Well, at that point, as 13-year-old, 13-year-old, I, I had won, I used to memorize verses, and I won every contest in all my Sunday school classes for memorizing scriptures. At that point, I had memorized over 600 scriptures. I could just go like that, 600. And I had all the Bibles. Every time you want something, they gave you a new, a new Bible. So I had all the versions of the Bibles I needed in my life. And, and then at the end of that, um, here comes a, probably two months of hard work. And she comes up with this old torn Bible, our grandmother's Bible, and says, this is what you worked for. I said, no, ma'am, I didn't work for that. That's for, your to, for yours to cherish. That was your grandma's Bible, but not mine. I have enough Bibles at home. I don't need a Bible. She says, that's all you get. I said, no, ma'am, I need money. Oh, no, that's all you get. So we went into a, you know, this argument with a 13-year-old. I was very short-tempered when I was growing up extremely short temper. And 
She said that three times. I said to her three times, and she repeated the same thing. And she gave me, she said, there's the Bible, and I don't have time. She started to walk back. I got the Bible, opened it, and the pages started flying out. Because it was a torn Bible. And I took it and smashed it back on her. I was so upset. And I walked away. And I told her, I will never forgive you until we meet at the judgment seat of Christ. That was my poor theology at that point. That's all I could get, you know. <laughs> I, I, I thought that when we get to the city of Christ, there would be so much discussion about what we did, what was wrong, <laughs> you know. That was my little, my little understanding of theology at that time. So when we get there, we'll talk about this, and then I'll forgive you. And I walked away, upset, and walked home. I went to my dad. Because my dad was my friend, so I, you know, he was a pastor, he was a chaplain of the same hospital where that doctor worked and his wife. And my, I went to my dad. My dad noticed very easily when I was upset, she knew me inside out. And he said, Arnold, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. He says, what happened to you? I said, dad, this is what happened. I worked for two months. And this lady comes and gives me an old ragged Bible, and I told her I have enough Bibles. I had probably about 14 Bibles in the house. I used to give everybody to my brothers and sisters whenever they wanted, you know. And, and my father said, so what did you do? I said, I took the Bible, opened it up, and the pages started flying off, and I smashed it back on her, and I said, I'm done with you. And uh, my father said, do you know what you have done? I said, I was angry. I did what I could do. She was a big woman, and I wasn't. It was just a small boy. And so she says, that's not good. That's somebody else's wife. And surely enough, 30 minutes later, he had a motorcycle. You know, vroom, vroom, vroom. And my father said, he's coming. <laughs> you sit behind me. <laughs> boy, the man was upset, furious. You come over here, my dad said, just stay behind me. <laughs> he was so upset that I, you know, I threw the Bible at his wife. Um, to make the story short, I was so angry, and that didn't even made it worse for me, you know. And we move, I moved out of that area and went to my high, high school in a boarding school away from that place. I was still tormented by that. So for four more years, five more, four, five more years, for five more years, um, I wrestled with that. And one day, uh, I came back to the Lord, and the Lord put that on my heart, and I need to go back and apologize to that lady. This is five years later. So I go back, and sure enough, I was walking from the, the bus stop to my mother's place, which was five miles away. And who, guess who comes? This woman in a car. And she recognizes me. She stops. And she says, can you get in my car? I want to talk to you. I said, not right now. I had my own timetable of dealing with this thing. I said, not right now. And she stops. She says, I want to take you to your mother's home. I said, I don't want to talk to you right now. But she insisted. So I got into the car. She drove me to my mother's place. And uh, in, the, in the process, we started talking about the thing that we did, I did five years ago. And we talked about it, and we dealt with it. And that weekend, uh, she invited me to go with her to a conference. 
which she was doing in another setting in the rural, rural area, and uh, had a great opportunity to come back to the Lord at that same conference. And she became my closest friend. Now, in the discussion, this is what she said to me. She said, Arnold, I have been praying that the Lord will bring you back home so that I could see you. I didn't want to go to heaven with a heavy burden of not having been forgiven for what I did. I'm so sorry for what I did. And I looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry too. But I was a kid who was upset. I was working for money, not working for the Bibles. But I'm sorry for what I did. And six months later, she passed. Now, you see, God has provisions sometimes that we can be at loggerhead with one another, have difficult circumstances, but sometimes he does that for a reason so that we may resolve our conflicts in a manner that is helpful. And for the first time in my life, I learned the value of forgiveness. You see, sometimes we say things when we're angry and we don't understand the implications of those things in life. Now, in the verses we read, Jesus is specific about forgiveness. One thing that brings forgiveness is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross when he died. A full, full confession of sin is what opens forgiveness. When we confess our sins, then we learn to forgive as well. If you cannot forgive others, then I challenge you to stop sinning. Amen? If I can't forgive you, then you challenge me to stop sinning. Because that's impossible. We sin every day in one form or another. And God keeps on forgiving us of the mess that we make every day. Jesus, in, in, in Luke 6.35, says this, But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be greater, and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful wicked, be merciful just as, as the Father is merciful. Do not judge. You will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So forgiveness is the nature of sonship of God. You want to be a son of God? Then forgiveness is a part of that. You have no choice. You do not understand, you tell me, about my circumstances. I have been deeply wounded. I'm impacted by betrayal and sins of others. People have lied against me. People have talked behind my back. People have mistreated me. True? I don't understand. But there's someone who understands. His name is Jesus. He went through every aspect of whatever you're going through now. He was betrayed by the same people he came to die for. He was crucified by the people he served. He was denied by the very disciples that walked with him. They all ran away when he died, scared to death. So you have the Son of God who left his glory to come for you, who understands fully everything 
about injustice. If there's anybody who had injustice in this world, Jesus did. Because he was God. He was blameless. And yet he took our sins on him so that we could understand what forgiveness means. Who betrayed your trust? And how do you forgive if they are still doing unforgivable stuff? Every time you forgive them, they come back and do the same stuff to you. That's agitating. That's annoying. And you have no time. You just cringe and go, I wish I couldn't even see you. However, God commands us to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Oops. Huh. So if you don't forgive me, God will not forgive you. Oh, we are treading on very light waters, right? <laughs> because we, sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because that what, that's what Jesus came for. That's the price he paid. So that we may be reconciled to God. So if I don't forgive you, I am in limbo as well. I'm in big problems with God. Romans 6, 20. 23. What does it mean to forgive and reconcile? Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm not denying it didn't happen. It did happen. You were hurt. It did happen. But, but, you have to still to learn to forgive because you will require boundaries to rebuild your fractured relationships. Make some boundaries. You can't do this. Let's do this. This is not what you can't do. So that at least you can rebuild your relationship. Forgiveness is not fair. We cry out loud. It's not fair because I've been hurt. I understand. We want God to be fair. If God was fair, you would get the punishment you deserve. And that is death. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. So if we want God to be fair, that's what you get. And whoever told you there's fairness in the world? I've never found it in my life. Nothing is fair. What I claim is fair is unfair to somebody else. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. So God is gracious and kind. That he doesn't treat me the way my sins deserve. Because he's gracious and kind. What is forgiveness? To me, and I believe, it is giving others what God gave to us on the cross. When Christ was crucified... And his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what I give back. I am his. I belong to him. He is mine. 
And so I give back exactly what he gave me for me to have eternal life. That's very challenging when you are in those difficult circumstances where you feel you are being squeezed. Where you believe you don't have breathing space in life. I want you to notice something. We are a place of imperfect people in this church. Nobody's perfect. We have hateful thoughts. We may not express them the way we want to, but we do sometimes. We have betrayed others. We have stabbed each other on the back. Stepped on each other's toes. But we have God's undeserved favor through Jesus Christ. He came so that we may have life, and that life more abundantly. He came so that we may have joy, that joy to its fullest, so that the world may know we have a living God in us. God forgave my past, my present, and future sins through his son. That's why he came. Forgiveness is the power of the gospel. Forgiveness heals you and sets you free. In John, verses 20 to 26 to 31, when Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, was not in the room when Jesus showed up the first time, excuse me, and his friends told, told him that Jesus was here. He showed up. He showed up, and Thomas said, <laughs> I know Jesus. I saw him being crucified. And therefore, I want to make sure that it is the Messiah. I know where he was pierced. I was at the cross. I know where he was bruised. I can go and touch every aspect of that. Then I will know he's, a, he's, he's the real Savior who rose from the dead. And so seven days later, the disciples, still, still fearful of the ramification of Christ's death and resurrection, hiding in the house, and Thomas was there, doors closed, Jesus shows up in the midst of them. Wow. And he says, Thomas, you wanted to touch my woundings but you know what I don't have them I have scars where they pierced me and where they pierced me on the other side you know I have a scar that I, I, I had in high school I don't know where it is sometimes it disappears I think it's on this hand here. Somewhere in here, I had one, a big one. Maybe it's on the other side. <laughs> yep, here it is, right there. Okay? It's not a wound. It used to be a wound. But the scar means it's healed. A scar means it's healed. I don't have too much pain. It used to hurt when, 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 a few years ago, many years ago, but now it doesn't. I can squeeze it, I can do whatever. It's totally healed. 
You see, on the cross, Jesus was wounded. He was bleeding. When he was resurrected, he only had scars of where they pierced him. Forgiveness is like that. When we are wounded and we need to be forgiven, what happens is that the woundings become scars. We can't ignore them. They did happen. I was, this scar was because I was running away from a, a big boom. We were watching a movie. And there was the, 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 in those days, you had those big movie things that, you know, with reels and stuff, and it blew up. It was like a bomb. And so we all were running for life. We didn't know what had happened. We thought something, a bomb was thrown into the, into the we had 500 kids in the, in the dining hall. So we were running, so I went through the window, cut myself. True forgiveness leaves you with scars, not wounds. It takes faith to forgive. When you forgive, the pain goes away. Disappears. Of course I'm angry, but in faith, I release my wounds to the cross for the scars. Because that's what Jesus did for me. For those of you whose marriages are struggling, note, even though adultery is a biblical ground for divorce, it is also grounds for forgiveness. You need God's grace, therefore, your spouse needs the same grace that you have in Jesus Christ. So how much freedom do you desire in your life? Let unforgiveness go away. Don't allow what you did ruin your future. You are no longer a prisoner. Therefore, do not pollute your future by dwelling in the past. You are no longer a victim. Christ has set you free. So Christ has set us free. You are no longer a slave. You can't continue to dwell in the past. I can't do that. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus died for. That's what he came for. He came to set you free so that you can, have, you can be free. When the Son sets you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. Okay? Real freedom comes from, from forgiveness. So learn to first forgive yourself because that's the struggle. That's my struggle. My struggle with that lady wasn't, she had forgiven me. You know, this is the irony. When you are forgiven, somebody forgives you, they've got no pain, they've got nothing to hold on to. You are the one who is a slave to yourself. It takes faith to believe that the same place where the nails where in Jesus Christ is the same place where healing is. The place where Christ was crucified is the same place where healing is to, be, to come from. So Jesus Christ has done an incredible work in each one of your life, in each one of our lives, to make it much more easier for us to come to God. Because I, I didn't have anything to pay. 
You had nothing to pay, but he paid his life for you. I believe that guilt is being afraid someone will retaliate when I tell them what I did. Guilt is so damaging to your life that it brings toxic chemicals into your body, scientists say, that it can cause a crippling effect on your life, that you may, you may have illnesses you, don't, you can't even think about because of unforgiveness. It brings fear of being found out. Christ's last words in Luke 23, verses 27 through 37, says that, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I don't know what I would do if you were on the cross. Some people are crucifying you, they're, they're spitting on you, they're even uh, playing, taking away your clothes and, and sharing and trying to figure out who wins what. It's like a lottery thing. I don't know what you would do. Probably you'd be cursing everybody around you. But Jesus simply said, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When we're in crisis, in deep crisis, what's your response to forgiveness? How do you respond? You react? You fight back? Because sometimes that's the way I, I know with that woman, that lady, that's the way I felt. I had to fight back because I was too small. She was bigger than me. So the one way to fight back was to do what I thought was right and incredible to, to support myself and protect myself. How about if we switch and let Jesus protect us? Let Jesus do what he has to do for us instead of us fighting our way through. What are the implications of the cross and forgiveness? My human nature does three things when I'm offended. First, I want to bury the past. I don't want to talk about the past because... Because it, it hurts, it pains me, I'm ashamed of it. So we try to bury the past, we don't want to talk about it. Psalm, 23, Psalm 32 verse 3 to 5 warns us that the past always comes to haunt us. So the first thing I have to do is to acknowledge my sin without covering it. And too often, we rationalize sin. I refer to it as Russian lies. We ration the lies we make. We compromise our standards. Proverbs 28, verse 13, says this, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Second element, we enjoy blaming, blaming others. And the classic example of that is Genesis 3.12. Adam. In that discussion, Adam is, is sitting up with God and he says, you know, Adam is blaming God. Literally, he is. He says to God, you and me were okay. We didn't have any of this problem. We were doing pretty good, you and me. But Eve, Eve, the woman you gave me, 
is the problem. Because she went out there and found that fruit that you, didn't, you said you shouldn't touch and gave it to me and I ate it. If it wasn't for her, you and me would still be okay. Isn't that the truth? In life, we blame it on others. We blame it on others. We don't want to take responsibility. So Adam is literally trying to balance his guilt. It's called depression or bury the guilt. Now Proverbs 19.3 says that in the message that people ruin their lives by their own stupidity. So why does God always get blamed for our stupidity? Why don't you take responsibility and say it's me, I just did it. Forgive me. It's that simple. But we every time blame it on somebody else or blame it on God. I was to blame for that incident with that lady. I really was. I knew there was part of immaturity in me, but I think I had a bigger problem. The bigger problem was Christ was not fully developed and done in me. Because if I understood how much I had been forgiven, I would have been more forgiving to that woman than I did. Third, we beat ourselves up. Or self-administer punishment for what others have done to us or for what we have done to others. We have sleepless nights contemplating our actions, but we don't take, we don't take any action on what we are contemplating about. Every time I think, I don't know, yeah, but I, I wish I'd done that. I could do this and I could do that and I could do that. And when I see them, I would do this and I would do this and I would do that. The simple thing you have to do is to simply say, I'm sorry. We teach our kids that all the time. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's so hard. So difficult for adults. But God simply says, when you say, I'm sorry, I will come. I will come in and forgive you. And create a new relationship that's going to impact other people's lives. So what does Jesus want us to do? Because that's our condition. What, what does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to do three simple things. The first one is he wants us to admit. Get out of denial. We keep busy working ourselves, running away from our guilt. Unfortunately, it's in us. Amen? So wherever you go, you take it with you. I've had people who say, I can't get along with this, so I'm going away, so they run away. But you know what? You take it with you. It's in you. It will just reestablish itself wherever you go because you got it. You can't run away from it. My condition right now is that I've got these tumors in my, in my tummy. Okay? I have them. So what do you well, where do you think I'm going to take them if I run away and go to Africa? I still have them. They follow me wherever I go. So what you have in you cannot be doubted by yourself. You have to find help from the living Jesus to free you. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of man. It searches out his innermost, inmost being. 1 John 1, 8. 
says the same thing. So to stop defeating yourself, you must stop deceiving yourself. Let me say that again. To stop, to stop defeating yourself, you must stop deceiving yourself. Admit to things blocking you from good relationships with God and people. Well, what about the stuff between you and your children? Oh, they are too small. Kids, no problem. We just tell them what to do. We do whatever we have. No. Kids are just as important in the eyes of the Lord as adults are. There are times I go to my children and I apologize for what I've done. I'm not different. They are not different. They need to apologize to me too when something goes wrong. I do the same with my wife. When something is wrong, I apologize. When she's wrong, she apologizes to me. It's life. That's what we've been called to. To be healed, to be reconciled to one another. How about a bully in your classroom as a young person? Or a bully in your work who doesn't let you off the hook? Forgive them. That's hard to do. How about you and your pastor? Forgive him. He's just a human being like you. Just accept responsibility. Learn from David's moral inventory after committing adultery with, with someone's wife and killing her husband in Psalm 51. Poor David just went to the Lord and said, Lord, create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit within me. And then God looked at David and said, he's a man after God's heart. If you want to be a man after God's heart, you have to be someone who forgives. You can't be a man after God's heart when you don't. The irony of forgiveness is this. We, we deprive ourselves of the capacity to grow and become fully what God wants us to become. We diminish our ministries because we have got so much baggage behind us that God can't use us. It's God's desire that as we learn to forgive one another, he forgives us and we become healed. Second, you don't only have to admit, but you need to tell one other person. Oh, that is a crazy idea. Because when I do, you know how things go. The birds come and take it elsewhere and everybody will know about it. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody you believe in. Find somebody who will love you unconditionally and dish out what you have in your spirit that's bothering you to that person. They will not judge you. They will love you. They will support you. They will walk with you. Because they love you. You don't have to be afraid of doing that. That's part of life. That's what God created us for. So that as a body, as a fellowship, as one another, we can support each other, walk with each other through our most difficult moments in life. If you want to be forgiven, tell God about it. If you want healing from your negative emotions, tell one other person. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, so that you may be what? Healed. Huh. You want to be healed? That's the solution. You have to 
tell one other person about your problems, about your issues, in order to be healed. I think we like that. I like that in my own life. And that is the key to healing as well. Ninety percent of our problems are relational. It's how I treat you and how you treat me. Your hidden previous and current relationship struggles or sin make you as sick as your secrets creating insecurity in your life. So whatever is behind you that you don't want to talk about causes a lot of sickness in you. Ulcers are known for that. Constantly, people struggling. I have ulcers. Sometimes it is the things that you haven't, you don't want to deal with. Piling and piling and piling and piling and all of a sudden, forgiveness doesn't exist. And because of that, we suffer a lot of things, emotional things. But if I want to be healed from my emotional issues sometimes, I need to go talk, talk it over to one more other person. You know what? When we do that, we amputate the enemy's arteries to continue accusing us. Because that's what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. So he finds our weakness and keeps on hitting on it. You didn't do it. You haven't done it. It's your fault. It's your problem. You, 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 I told you. They will never let, forgive you. But the truth of the matter is this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. And if we talk to one other person, then the enemy has nothing to point his fingers to. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Third, ask for forgiveness. I don't like that. Because I'm right all the time. I don't like asking for forgiveness because I'm right all the time. The enemy has created this barrier between me and everybody else. I am right all the time. Everybody is wrong. So I can't go and ask for forgiveness because I'll prove that I'm weak. I'm too weak. I shouldn't do that. But godly people who have Christ in their lives have found that forgiveness is a way to regain power in Jesus' name. Forgiveness empowers you. It propels you to be more than what you thought you would be. We have an issue because sometimes when you go to God to ask for forgiveness, we beg. We beg, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, forgive me. Please God, forgive me. Please God, God, please forgive me. We forget that God knows, God knows you inside out. <laughs> he knows where you are. He knows exactly what you did. And the things you don't want to talk about, he knows everything about you. He's more than happy. His arms are wide open. He just says, come on in. Good kid, come on in. There's plenty. I'll forgive you. Whatever you've done, I'll forgive you. I'm yours. I'm here for you. I stand with you. I'll walk with you. I will support you. I will provide everything you need. 
You know, I think I see something radical in Thomas. We, we call him Doubting Thomas. I'll call him Faithful Thomas. You see, Thomas understood Jesus probably more than we give him credit for. Remember the story of 99 sheep and one, one that was lost and he had to go and find, the shepherd had to go and find one. Remember he wasn't in that group? He knew that Jesus would go for him. <laughs> he understood, my savior, that's why he demanded, until I touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe it. He knew that he, Jesus is not one-sided, he will not just show to the 12, to the 10, to 11 or to the 10, and leave him out here. He knew. He would go after him. He would seek him. You see, God goes an extra mile for each one of us. He has done an extra mile for me. I'm not the same person I used to be years ago. Man, I used to be a crappy guy. Short-tempered. Right in your face if you mess around. Because I was so tiny for my age. Even now, I was talking to a guy yesterday. A, a guy was, who comes to do the, the uh, air conditioning unit. He's a tall, big guy. And, and we were talking. And, and he says, young man, how old are you? <laughs> I looked at him and laughed. And I said, maybe you're the young man. He says, I'm 62. I said, oh, too bad. I beat you up. I'm 68. <laughs> You see, so when I was growing up, my defense was, don't mess with me because you think I'm small. Okay? I'll stand right in your face and do whatever I have to do. I was notorious for doing stuff like that. But yet when you, when you talk to my father, my father would say, I'm the most quiet guy. Quiet, the most quiet boy he has got in the farm. But you see, the thing is this. When Jesus comes into our lives, he changes us. He transforms us. Yes. We become the light to the world. We become something that the world envies because they don't understand how we can be trumped on and yet still love the church. Huh. Only the blood of Jesus can do that for you and me. Only Jesus can cause us to love the people that hate us so that we can be in fellowship with them. Only Jesus in us, the hope of glory can do that. Hallelujah. All have sinned and missed the mark and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, of, redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So forgiveness flows through us and because freely we have received, freely we give. Go ahead. <laughs> Talk about recovery, because you, you get to a point where, oh, okay, God, you can hear me, right? You get to a point where, Lord, I've heard your voice, and I want to walk the path of forgiveness. But you better remember, the enemy had you under the thumb. So as you try to wiggle out, so you can live fully for him, he is not happy either. And I remember just, um, mine was uh, moving from our country, coming into a whole totally different um, culture. I look different, you know, I'm the chocolate chip. 
So obviously that would be the only chocolate chip in the bunch. Um, and just, it, at the same time, people don't even think of how, they didn't use it anybody, anybody. And I remember one particular time we had a prayer, a, a prayer meeting just, and I dealt with all just the misconception of who I was. Um, simple things, you know, we live in the useful area. If I go to a Walmart, like in my prison, hey, by the age of my new chocolate skin, somebody's following me. Because I can be profiled for stealing. It's, and it starts annoying when you see somebody's following you. And they'll follow you all the way until you're done with whatever you're doing. Uh, Toya, totally remember one time, uh, as a nurse, I'm a nurse to go in and try to give medicine. And say, oh, you speak very good English. <laughs> you know, just like, okay, forget you. <laughs> I remember one time we were at church, and I think he, was it all? I think it's Michael Sullivan that preached, and so we went through the whole thing, we're praying, and I come to this lady, I pray, and I could sense the Lord had a word for this wonderful woman. I go to her, I go, man, can I, can I share what the Lord has for you? She looks at me and goes, oh my goodness, you must be one of those smart ones. You speak very good English. I think, oh, forget you. <laughs> but then he knew which button would hurt the most. Yes. Because I wanted to fit in just like anybody else. Yes. I want to be like anybody else. But he knows which button would set me off. And he'll push that over and over. And to the point where he told me, said, I'll go home and just like, honey, just, like, I'm really struggling. He goes, do you suppose maybe the Lord knows all he has to do, I mean, the enemy knows all he has to do as you're approaching, you're walking in that faith. God, I'm forgiven. I'm walking in this faith. He knows which button to push on you. And that button of where you are standing out hurts much more. How about maybe before you go, just, I know this is work with the same thing. How about if you go, ask the Lord to just cover you? Because the enemy is going to send those same people as you're trying to get out from the thumb of unforgiveness and walk the faith walk. He's going to send those people to you over and over to knock you over. He said, he knows that button. So you have to pray that, Lord, cover me. So those people who are just trying to trick me will not be there. And I, I remember just starting to do that, even going to work. I go to work as, as, as soon as I as long as I don't open my mouth, I was okay. I opened my mouth to talk to my patient, but oh, where are you from? Where did you go to school? Are you a nurse? Can you give me another? Can you give me this to come on thinking? But I was sir, <laughs> in the state of Kansas, if I didn't qualify, there's no way they'll give me a license to practice. But it's just like if that was that same button, identity. For me, I made it. I meant to be like anybody else. I got to a point where, Lord, I'm here for a reason. Help me walk this walk faithfully. Because I feel hurt at every corner I turn. It was my identity that I was planning for. And I, is it easy? No, sometimes it pops up. But now I know that button of, I could everybody else, that button hurts. But not identifying what is, the, what is the button that the enemy pushes on you with your anger, with your unforgiveness, with bitterness. What is, what is the trigger point? Ask the Lord to show you that. And my, my, my identity uh, was a big feeling. And as I started coming to the Lord and asking for that advice, so I am still asking for that, for that grace. 
Because I do send out wherever I go. It can be whatever I send out. I cannot change my accent. And I got to a point where now, like, oh yeah, I can use it for the, for the glory of the Lord. But at that time, I just want to just blend in. So I don't know where you are at, what button the enemy is pushing on you. You want to walk, but as soon as you take one, two steps, you push that button and you're down again. And you're down again. And you think maybe I can't do it, but just knowing which button triggers that. And for that. Praise the Lord. We didn't, we didn't, God just brought it in. Sometimes, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. You know, you prepare something, God adds an additional thing. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think we, we all understand what we go through. But <coughs> Jesus went through all these things we struggle with. Did he have identity crisis? Yes. People didn't believe him. People didn't trust him that he was the son of God. Everybody fought him. In and out. How is your flaw in this area of forgiveness? Have you noticed how the devil minimizes your sin every time? He minimizes that. But then once you sin, you have sinned, then he maximizes it. And says, you're a pervert. <laughs> you, know, you did this, you, you, you're stupid, you didn't, you didn't think, you're silly, you didn't think through things. One hand, he encourages you to do it. On the other hand, when you do it, then he says, you're only in the trap. He says, I told you so. I, I, I told you it was going to hurt. Let's learn that forgiveness opens doors in your life. Forgiveness transforms lives. Forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiveness empowers you to do more for the kingdom than you would do without it. Nothing works without forgiveness. Wherever you have forgiveness, there's also reconciliation. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for people like you and me who come together in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of everything we have and are willing to take us, take each other for who we are in Christ Jesus. I'm at home. I've never felt like I'm away from home in here. I'm a part of you. I've never felt that I'm distant, away from who you are. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. I've never felt like I'm in a different place where things are different. But you know what? I have to learn to live with that every day. To learn to forgive myself as I forgive others. Because if I don't forgive myself, it's hard to forgive others. I carry the big burden with me all over my shoulders. I want to do two things. I'll pray for the communion. Come and take your communion. And then as we go through the communion, let's think of what Jesus has done for us. And some of those woundings we have had in life that we haven't gotten over. Let's pray that God, Jesus will turn our woundings to scars. We, don't, we want to remember where we have been. That's important. <laughs> but we have been healed in Jesus' name. And that's what the blood is for. That's what the body is for. We've been, we've been healed in Jesus' name. The power is that I am free. Free indeed. And I can rejoice. I can have fun with my brothers and sisters because I, I have the freedom in Jesus' name. So those things that hinder us cannot stop us from being who God has called us to be. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
Let me pray quickly and then we can take our, our um, communion together. Father, we thank you once again for drawing us together. I pray for healing even as we take the communion. That we'll be healed from all these things that have hindered us in years of life. We love you and thank you for forgiving us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the communion, let's take the cup and the communion, take it to our seats and then we'll, we'll go through this together. I think as we are doing that, let's think through those areas where you have been wounded, those areas where you have been hurt. And as we take communion, let's bring those to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm just here. I'm available to you. Touch my, touch my woundings so that I may be healed. <laughs>